What a perfect song to lead us into what we're going to be focusing on this morning uh, in our Commit series. We're about done with our series. Uh, we'll wrap it up next week uh, with one final commitment to make. And as you can see behind me uh, this morning, our, our focus is on committing to sharing your faith. And I say that that song is a perfect song to lead us into what we're going to walk through is because we know, uh, some of us know committing to sharing your faith is a term that is sometimes thrown out as evangelism, um, the act of evangelism. And what we may not know is evangelism is taken from a Greek word and a Greek uh, position where when a ruler would be going to tour the country and going to tour cities and the people, he would send an evangelist before him to go into the towns and the cities and to let the people know that this ruler or this important figure is getting ready to come. And so he was pre- they were preparing the way for this figure to arrive. And that's what we're called to when we share our faith is this act of evangelism. We are preparing people that are in our community, in our towns, and where we find ourselves for the arrival of the king. That he is coming back. He, is, he promises in his word. And, and uh, we did that image in the book of Revelation, which the song we just sang uh, comes from mostly, about Jesus' return. And so we are here as God's people to prepare others for the return of the king. When he is going to take all of his people back with him to their eternal home. I think a lot of us understand that we should uh, take part in sharing our faith. I, I think there's, there's something in this. We know we should be doing that. And we could be looking at different passages like Matthew 28 where as known as the Great Commission, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore, or go therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Uh, though we call it a Great Commission, it's not meant to be implied as a commission. It's a command. Uh, the word go in Greek is actually stating as you are going, meaning Jesus' understanding of people who are following him are going to be going and making disciples. It's going to be their regular course of action. In the book of Acts, in chapter 1, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So if we've accepted Jesus Christ, we've been given the Holy Spirit inside of us for the sake of being empowered to witness for the kingdom of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're told, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, making God making His appeal through us. That word ambassador is an individual who represents someone or something to a group of people who may not be too familiar with that. And in the Greek, which the New Testament is written on, this is a statement that all believers, all believers, no matter their age, no matter their biblical knowledge or biblical background, but all believers who accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, this is what they are to be doing, representing Christ to a world that is not very familiar with it. It is an undebatable term within the kingdom of God that God's people would be representing Him as an ambassador. And according to Dr. Alvin Reed, one of, of the more than 6 billion people in the world today, approximately one-third have never heard of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say that the majority of people in the world can represent symbols like McDonald's and Starbucks and Coca-Cola, and they do so more than they recognize the cross of Christianity. What this tells us, as believers, as children of God, we have been failing the lost. 
There are several tools in which we can share our faith and several resources. You may have come across them in your own lifetime. And, and the tracks, that used to be a very popular thing where people would go places and they would hand out tracks and sometimes have conversations with the tracks. There's methods and curriculums. You can go to conferences to teach you how to share your faith. You can pick up books and you can download apps onto your smart device. But here's the reality. Unless God's people are committed to sharing their faith, it does not matter the resources that we have at our fingertips because we won't be sharing our faith. So this morning, we turn our attention to Romans because I don't believe it's the how-to that we get tripped up on. I believe it's the why. We are without excuse with the how-to. You can find things and ways to share your faith. You, you can read a track. You can have a phone to guide you through a process of sharing your faith with individuals. You can read books and go to conferences and seminars and podcasts. The how is not the question. The why is the question. And so we're going to be in Romans chapter 1 to see why the Apostle Paul was committed to sharing his faith in hopes to give us an understanding of why we should as well. We're going to begin in verse 14 here in a second. Romans is one of my favorite books in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament. I don't know if it's proper to say you have a favorite book of the Bible. I, I, I don't know if that's like blasphemous, but it is. And if you read through history, you see several individuals, fathers of the faith, loved Romans as well. The apostle is writing to the believers in Rome, hence the title of the book, Romans. Now, these believers are individuals that Paul had never met outside of a couple uh, during his travels as he was spreading the gospel. But Paul's desire was to arrive in Rome and to help build up and strengthen the churches. And I say churches because most likely in Rome they were house churches. But he didn't just want to go to build them up. He, he knew that the church and the believers there in Rome could also build him up in his faith. And so if you read through the book of Romans, which I would strongly suggest that you do at some point in time, You'll see that Paul lays out the depravity of man's sinfulness before a holy God. Then he shows how God delivered the remedy in having a faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And once we've accepted God's remedy in Jesus Christ, it moves the believer into response of who Christ is as a Savior. Paul lays out his understanding of the work of Christ in the book of Romans to these believers, hoping that when they read what he teaches, that they will invite him in and they will support him financially so that he could go on to the rest of the world to take the gospel. So though Paul desired to be in Rome to share his faith with these believers and the people in Rome, his ultimate desire was to continue to share his faith into the rest of the world. We know Paul, once known as Saul, was commissioned by God to take the gospel to the Gentiles and throughout the Roman world, which he was doing. If you read through the book of Acts, you read through Paul's letters, you see that he was sharing his faith despite meeting heavy persecution. He was in prison numerous times. At one point in time, he was stoned to near death and left for dead. And then he got up the next day and went back to the town that stoned him and began sharing his faith once again. He was abandoned by his own people, the Jewish people, as they cast him out of their own society. If you read through Paul's letters in the book of Acts, you will find, and I think this helps us, Paul the apostle at times struggled to share his faith. And yet here's the man that God used to take the gospel into the known world. What helped Paul persevere is the Word of God was spoken to him, and he found encouragement through that so he could go about and continue to do what God called him to do. 
I don't want to do a poll this morning about who here has ever shared your faith and who here has never shared your faith. I imagine at some point in time we have in some aspect. Some of us here are actively sharing our faith every single day with every single encounter we come into. Some of us are sharing our faith on occasion. We know that we should do it. And some of us have shared our faith in the past, but we've met opposition, and so it's kind of silenced us. So we're going to look at this text. And my prayer this morning is that it moves us all to begin sharing our faith and committing to sharing our faith. Let's begin reading in verse 14, and we're going to read through verse 17. The Word of the Lord says, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this day and I thank you for this word. And Lord, I pray that you don't allow me to get in your way. Forgive me when I have not been committed to sharing the gospel the way that your word tells me and commands me to. But Father, I pray this morning that your spirit would move in such a way that you would revive us again, that we would find the joy of our salvation, of your salvation, that we would not be silent before this world. Father, I thank you that you've already placed people in this room and people in our lives as we go about our day-to-day activities who need to know the good news of Jesus Christ. You've already placed us in places where we can be ambassadors, where we can make disciples, where we can reveal the power of your Spirit indwelling inside of us to be your witness. Lord, I just ask that your Spirit move in such a way that we begin to take action. I know there's people in here this morning who are scared to share their faith. I know there's people in this room who have no problem sharing their faith. I thank you, Lord, that you meet us where we are and take us to where you need us to be. Be our shepherd and be our guide. Pray us on the name of Jesus. Amen. In the opening chapter of Romans, Paul, again, is letting the believers in Rome know why he is wanting to come and why he does what he does. Our first part in committing to sharing our faith is an obligated commitment there in verse 14 i am under obligation both to the greeks and to barbarians both to the wise and to the foolish the word obligation means to be indebted to see paul understood that he had something and was given something of great value and he's not indebted and though it can be read seem to be read this way he's not indebted to the greeks or barbarians or the wise and the foolish The word Greek and barbarian is to speak of Roman citizens and non-Roman citizens. Greeks would be Romans, and barbarians was a term that the Romans referred to of individuals who lived within the empire, but were not naturally born Roman citizens. The wise and the foolish doesn't necessarily speak of education as much as a social background. As the higher or the more resources you had, the higher the education you could have. What Paul is saying is that I am indebted, I am obligated to all of humanity. I am not indebted to these people, for I did not borrow anything from them, but I received something from God of such great value that I must deliver it to them. And so Paul's charge, and our charge today, is to see the gospel as something, as a great value in our life that other people need. This is the way Paul viewed it. 
People need to hear this message. And so I am indebted, not to them, but I am indebted to God for revealing this message, this gospel to me. John Stott writes, If the gospel has come to us, we have no liberty to keep it to ourselves. Good news is for sharing, and we are under obligation to make it known to others. See, Paul understood that he was indebted to Christ by his understanding of what Christ did. And Paul's understanding of what Christ did on the cross and his resurrection came from his understanding of the Old Testament. Paul grew up a Jew. He grew up a Pharisee. He was fully aware of the sacrificial system. He was fully aware of the holiness of God. Yet when Paul met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, you read of that story in the book of Acts, Jesus turned Paul's world upside down. See, up to this point, Paul felt like he could do the right thing. He could work out his righteousness. He could work out his favor with God if he just stuck to the game plan. But when Jesus came and revealed what he did to Paul, Paul understood there's no work that he could do. There's no righteousness he could prove to earn what Jesus Christ did. It was all about the complete work and glory of Christ. He emphasizes as he writes to the believers in Philippi. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 7-9, through 9, he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And at this point, Paul was rising up in the ranks. He would, what we would view if we live with Paul in his day, we would view him as a successful religious person. But Paul says, What I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And for this sake I have suffered the loss of all things and counting them as rubbish. And I love that word rubbish. Sometimes it reminds me of Simon Cowell, but you know, rubbish. Uh, the word rubbish that Paul uses is the closest thing that Paul's going to get to, to swearing in the Bible. He says it is rubbish, it is gospel, it is, it is garbage, it is fetal waste. He's basically saying everything that I had I count as lost because it is poop. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him and not having a righteousness on my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, Paul came to this understanding when he had this revelation of the gospel and understanding who Jesus is. He understood that there was nothing he could do, nothing that he was doing in his life that could deserve what Jesus Christ did for him. It was all meaningless. It was sewage compared to the work of Jesus Christ. And so for this reason, he is obligated, he is indebted forever and eternally to the work of Christ. He could not produce the righteousness on his own. And no matter how good of a person he was, or no matter how good other people thought he was, he understood that he was sinful and unholy, and it was only by his faith in Christ that made him right before God. Paul understood what God did for him it was not what Paul could do for God, but what God did for him. And because of this understanding, he was internally indebted forever to the mercy and grace of God. It wasn't a debt that Paul felt he could repay. He was not saying, I'm obligated and I've got to pay this back. He, it's not a sense of, I've got to work to earn favor with God. It was a debt that Paul understood that I need to respond to by action and word. And the greatest way that we can respond to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is to share it. I think we all understand obligations. We have marriage obligations, family obligations, work obligations, school obligations, team obligations. 
We have obligations to our government. We have obligations to our bills. We show our sense of obligation by spending time, by giving up things and giving up ourselves, by paying what is due. In doing that, we show our allegiance to that. I'm obligated to do this. Because we know as adults, if you don't pay your bills, there are consequences. We should know that if I don't, if I'm not obligated to my marriage and my kids, there's going to be consequences in that relationship. If we don't abide by the laws of the government, even if we don't always agree with them, there will be consequences. Some of y'all, if you, if you don't believe me, skip out on your taxes here in about another month and a half. There will be consequences. Because we have obligations. And we who have accepted Jesus Christ are eternally indebted to what He did and the way we show our obligation to it is we share it. When we share the good news, we share that we are obligated to what Christ did, that other people would know what Christ did. In the book of Leviticus, it reveals that there are two types of sins we have in our life. There's a sin of commission. A sin of commission is doing what you should not do. So I know I shouldn't do this, but I still do it. That's a sin of commission. The opposite is a sin of omission, is not doing what you should do. Meaning, I know I should do this, but I don't do it. We are here to share with those whom God has put in our life the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we all know it. And so when we don't do it, we are committing a sin of omission. When we think of obligations, I don't know about you, I don't typically think of like great things. I don't pay my bills singing Amazing Grace. I don't know if you do. I didn't do my taxes singing Praise God from whom all blessings flow. But there's a difference between worldly obligations and eternal obligations. We are obligated eternally because Jesus Christ has set us free and He has given us abundant and eternal life. And so our eternal obligation is different because our eternal obligation is secure in the hands of the Father. Worldly obligations are different than eternal obligations. And this is why Paul says in verse 15, because he understood this was an eternal obligation. This is why I'm so, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So we have commenced share our faith is an obligated commitment, but it's also an eager commitment. The word eager means to be ready and willing. It means to have a sense of excitement for the possibility of what could happen. The word preach there means to proclaim. Now, we all know what it means to be excited, right? A couple weeks ago, not all, I see some of y'all, but not all, but a couple weeks ago, a lot of us were very excited what the Chiefs did. And we expressed it. We even went into the Super Bowl game a little eager. We were excited for the possibility of what could happen. We did excited about some of the silliest things in life. If you don't believe me, when we're done here, open up Facebook, open up Instagram, open up Twitter, and see what people post about. We post about our vacations. We post about our kids and what they're doing or they're not doing. We post about our food and what we're going to eat or may eat. We post about how good it was and how bad it was, and we share it with the entire world to see. We know how to be excited about things. Paul is saying, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also in Rome. He is saying this, I am chomping at the bit to get to Rome and share the gospel with you. Where gospel means good news of Jesus Christ. Paul wasn't excited to share about his bacon buffet that he could have now and what Jesus Christ did because he opened it. 
Bacon's on the menu, boys. He wasn't excited about that. Paul wasn't excited about all the things that he had accomplished in life, and though he had done so much for the gospel and the kingdom of God. Paul was excited about what God wanted to do for the people who had yet to hear the gospel. That's where he found his eagerness. And so perhaps our prayer should be, Lord, return to me the joy of your salvation. Give me an excitement, an eagerness, a willingness to be used by you. We should be, and my confession is I have not been, but we should be excited about the gospel to the point that we can't shut up about it. That people actually have to tell us, stop. Now I know there's some in here that have been beaten down when you've shared the gospel. I've had threats after sharing the gospel. I've had doors slammed in my face with Sir Joe over here and trying to share the gospel. I, I've had people tell me to shut up, cuss me out, threaten me. And I'll admit, it has caused a lack of eagerness at times. When you experience that, it, it kind of suppresses the eagerness and willingness to share it again. But when I turn into the book of Acts and I see the first apostles being imprisoned for sharing their faith, being beaten and martyred for sharing your faith. You know what they did? They gathered together with believers and they prayed to God for more boldness. Because they understood we all can be silenced by the hostility the world has to the gospel. And we have to understand, it's not us that the world is mad at. It's not us that the world is opposing it is who we represent as the ambassadors for Christ. So they're not against you. They're against who you represent. They're against God. And so the apostles said, Lord, give us more boldness. Give us more eagerness to share this love and this grace and this mercy. Because the obstacle to our eagerness and the obstacle to our boldness in sharing the gospel is found in this. We have a greater fear of man than we do of God. That's the fear. I fear what this person is going to say, do, or how they'll respond more than I fear what God has commanded me to do. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. See, Paul had this eagerness because one of my favorite verses in Scripture comes from the book of Romans itself. He says in Romans 8.31, What then can we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And that was a confidence that it didn't matter what people did to him. People could beat him, they could imprison him, they could kill him. But Paul knew this. His eternal security was secured in the hands of the Father. No matter what happened to this earthly vessel, he was going to be with God forever. And so that drove him with a willingness and an eagerness that other people could come to know that truth. He goes on to say in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Our commitment to sharing the faith is an unashamed commitment. You know what Scripture reveals what, re what brings shame in our life? Sin. Sin is what brings shame in our life. 
Go to, go to Genesis. You see when the first man and woman sinned, when they disobeyed God, what did they feel right off the bat? Shame for how God made them and where God put them. And when we sin, we feel the same thing. We feel shame. There's certain things in our life we don't talk openly about with other people. There's certain things we don't want to share with other people because we're ashamed of those things. But what salvation does, salvation releases us of our sin because it's all been put on Christ. And so we may be ashamed of our past sins, but it is a sin to be ashamed of the gospel in the same way. The gospel doesn't bring me shame. It brings me salvation. It sets me free. So Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And when Paul wrote those words, he was in prison. Guess what for? For preaching the gospel. But he tells Timothy, I'm telling you not to be ashamed because I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. See, Paul didn't believe in the government. Paul didn't believe in other people. He believed in God had saved him. God did the work. And so he wasn't ashamed for other people to know what he believed in, even to the point of death. Paul understood that despite circumstances and people's reaction, he was confident, sure, and convinced who his trust was in. He didn't trust in men. He trusted in God's Word. And so we may be ashamed of our former sins, but we are never to be ashamed of our current salvation. The battle of being ashamed is this. We worry about what other people may say, what they may do, or we may say something that's not right. Anybody ever have those worries in sharing your faith? What if I don't say something right? What if they do this? Ray Glory writes that God is not looking for ability as much as He is looking for availability. And God does not call the qualified, but He qualifies the called. So how do we grow in our eagerness, in our obligation, in our being unashamed? By committing to the source. Verse 17, for in it, what is the it? The it is the gospel to which Paul wrote, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. See, the power of God through the gospel has been revealed to us, so the power of God through the gospel can be revealed out of us. It's not for us to hoard and keep to ourselves, it's for us to give away we can't lose it. We just continue to give it away. Because we know God through Jesus Christ and God has given His Spirit. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter, His divine powers granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us into His glory and excellence. Our source of commitment is found in our commitment to the gospel. To understand it, to talk about it, to share it. It is in, in it, in the gospel, sinful individuals find their way to be declared righteous before a holy God. It's a simple statement that Paul is making. He's defining salvation. He says salvation is by faith, not by works. Salvation can only be found when one shares from faith to another to come to faith. The righteousness of God, John Stott writes, is an initiative in putting sinners right with Himself by bestowing on them a righteousness that is not their own. It's the theological terms that we need to understand about our salvation. Like, throw those up there, Ethan. Atonement, propitiation, and justification. We say that Jesus it was the atoning sacrifice. This comes from the Old Testament. Paul understood this. 
When John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he was making this mention of atonement. Atonement is to cover, to cover over. It basically is saying when I place my faith in, Je- in the work of Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection, God covers over all of my sins, past, present, and future. He separates me as far as the east is from the west, and I'm no longer seen in my sin, but in the righteousness of Christ. The term propitiation, which, God, which Paul uses a lot of times in his, in his writings, is a form of substitution. It's this understanding that Christ was the ultimate substitution for my sin and in substituting and standing in my place on the cross, God poured down His wrath upon His only Son instead of on me. Justification is a legal term. It means to be declared guiltless. When I come to faith in Jesus Christ, when I accept Him for what He did and God's love for me, The Bible says I am justified before a holy God, meaning God no longer sees my sin, but He sees me just as if I never sinned in the first place. And there's other terms, reconciliation. Because of my faith in Jesus Christ, I am now reconciled to God, which means I've been brought back into harmony with the God who loves me, all because of the work of Christ. See, Paul understood these terms, and he wanted other people to understand these terms. And so if we've accepted these terms of God by faith, it is from faith that we share to others so they might come to faith. This is what the phrase means in verse 17, from faith for faith. It may be in your scriptures from faith to faith or out of faith and into the faith. It's this image taken from the Old Testament of a transference of sin except Here, instead of transferring sin into the sacrifice, we're transferring the gospel from a believer to an unbeliever. We accept it by faith so others might come to faith. And so we begin in our salvation. We understand God's commitment to us and God's faithfulness to us. And in understanding God's faithfulness to us, we become faithful to God in sharing the good news. And so if we are not sharing our faith What scriptures reveals is we're not actually living in or out our faith to this world. Because we are called to go, be ambassadors. It's a command. So what do we do? Because we can walk through this, we can talk about evangelism, we can go to hours of seminars and conferences and read books and podcasts and all. We can do all that stuff, but what do we do? How do we actually apply this? Here we go. Here's where we should begin. Prayer. Prayer. Pray for those individuals or individual that God has already put in your life who is lost. Pray for them by name. Make it so your heart hurts for them. I think sometimes we don't pray enough for the lost and our hearts don't hurt enough for the lost because we forget that if someone doesn't know Jesus Christ they're going to hell there's no limbo there's no place in between where you you can pay enough in an offering plate or pray enough to get them out of there it's heaven or hell that's it a or b and if someone does not know Jesus Christ they're going to hell And so we need to start praying for those people. Pray for them by name. 
pray for God to open a door of conversation to be had with that individual. Pray for your boldness and your eagerness and your sense of obligation and your un, being unashamed with that person for the gospel. Do it in a loving way. Because I have encountered people who share the gospel in a very unloving way. Don't give them half of Romans 6.23. The wage of sin is death. Don't just stop there. That's not the whole message. <laughs> but the gift of God is eternal life. But pray for them. I guarantee if we start praying for people that God's already pray, placed in our life, our hearts will begin hurting for them, and we will have to share the gospel. And you may say, I don't know, I got anybody in my life who doesn't know Jesus. Because that happens over time. You're going to realize some of our youngins, the older you get, the more you seem to find yourself with other people who have similar interests like you. And we do this in Christianity too, that we just, we're always around other Christians all the time. We meet in church in small groups and we go to conferences together and we go out to eat together and, and that's great, that's awesome. But if we aren't sure if there's anybody in our life who's not lost, and here's what we need to start praying for. God, bring people into my life who are lost. Let me know that they're lost so I can share the good news with them. And while you're praying, here's the next thing. So you're praying to be able to share to, to, for that individual by name, praying for God to bring people in your life so you can share the good news with them. And while you're doing this, work and think about your testimony. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. And so when we talk about testimony, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about what we have witnessed, what we can testify about Jesus Christ. And here is a simple way to set up a testimony. It begins, who were you before you came to Christ? For some of y'all, you were four or five years old, and that's about as far as the story gets, right? When you came to Christ, why did you do that? Not what did the preacher tell you to do. Why did you feel you needed to accept Christ in that moment? And then, what does your salvation mean to you? How has your relationship with God changed you? So you go from that moment of salvation, or that moment before salvation, the moment of salvation, and now the moment you're living in salvation. That's a testimony. And I think more Christians need to spend time sitting down and thinking about their testimony, to actually write it out. Think about how you want to word it so people can understand it. Because what I found that my wife likes to remind me of is I may think something sounds correct and understandable, but it may not be so much. And so we have to work on how we're going to present something because we want to make sure we present it in the best possible way. It's not to give it a script. It's just so we have thought about this. So we can understand what the gospel means to us. And then when you have those conversations and you've worked on your testimony, what happens is in the midst of that conversation, the Spirit's going to prompt you, and I know this because it does in my own life, it's going to prompt you to share your faith. You may be talking about the price of gas, but all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, do you know the price of your sin? I mean, you're going to just move. And some of y'all are going to be like, this is crazy. But we've got to practice this. We've got to prepare ourselves for this. This is why we are still here. So other people can hear the gospel and accept it. This is why you're still here. Paul writes this 
that we are to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season. And how can I be ready in season and out of season unless I am preparing for it? I love Paul's uses of sports analogies. And I think we would understand this. You know, we have in-season, you're playing, you're going to practice, you're doing all stuff, you're really focused. But then there's the off-season time. In the off-season, you still got to do the work or you're going to digress. And it's that same with our, our Christianity. It's not, it's not saying we're going to lose our Christianity, but w- when we're in the midst of sharing our faith and when we're not sharing our faith, we're preparing to share our faith preach the word, to preach the gospel. The reality of scripture, and this just hits me in the gut. The only reason that I would not be sharing the gospel is I have yet to accept the gospel. That's the only reason I would not be sharing the gospel. And that may be you here this morning. You have yet to hear or accept the gospel for yourself. So I want to present it to you. The gospel says this is God created you for a relationship with him. We find that in the very beginning, that God lets that be known. We as human beings are created for a relationship with him. We also find in the very beginning in Genesis that we all have a sin problem. And our sin has separated us from God. When sin first came into, into mankind, It caused a separation between mankind and God, and God had to expel them from the Garden of Eden, from His presence. And if I am in my sin, I am separated from God in this moment. I am lost. And what we find throughout Scripture, what we tend to do as people is we try to do good things. And this is what Paul came to understand. I can't do enough to earn this. I can't be good enough. And Paul came to understand, which we need to understand, that is only through Jesus Christ, who paid the price for our sins by dying on the cross and rising again. And when I believe that to be true, and to believe it doesn't mean I have to understand everything about it. I just believe that is truth, that God loves me that much, that Jesus Christ did that. The Bible says when I accept that, I am given eternal life. Eternal life. I mean, eternal life doesn't happen when I die. I'm living eternal life right now. you may be here this morning, and that's the gift you need to accept, to be given eternal life. And so I'm going to ask you to come down. I want you to say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. I want Jesus. I want to accept the gospel. And I'm going to pray with you and celebrate with you. Maybe you're here this morning, and, and just in mentioning that individual in your life to be praying for, you realize that you have not been praying for them enough or at all, or you've not been witnessing to them. Maybe you just need to come and kneel before the Father as an act of obedience to pray for God to help you be obedient and eager and unashamed. But this is going to be a time response. I'm going to ask Bridget, Sir Nicholas, to come on up. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Lord, thank you that you have not called us to do something that we are incapable of doing. I, I thank you for everyone as I look across this room what everyone brings to the table and how they can relate to people that I can't relate to at all, but you've placed them in that mission field for the sake of sharing the good news. 
I thank you for the lives that are going to be changed eternally because of the people that are going to put this to practice this week and begin sharing the gospel. Lord, thank you for using us in such a way that is beyond us, but empowering us to do it. Father, I pray right now that we are not only hearers of your word, but we are going to be doers, responders to it. We act upon it. Forgive me if I've gotten in your way, and I pray that you just remove, if I did get in your way, anything I said out of our minds and memory. Lord, only let your spirit and your word be what sinks in. Thank for this day, and praise on the name of Jesus. Amen.